Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Nintendo Watcher Podcast. I'm Justin, joined as always by my co-host Matthew. Matthew, man, what's up? Hey, Justin, how's it going? Good to be back. All right, today we're talking about a game that Matthew and I have been really stoked to play over the past, I don't know, handful of, of months. Um, came out late 2022. It's Chained Echoes, the yeah. love letter to 16-bit Super Nintendo um, Sega Genesis RPGs. Yeah, yeah. Big uh, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI vibes coming off this game. We talked about it a little bit before in other podcasts. Um, it's been our recommendation of the week and for several weeks, I think, in podcasts leading up to this. Um, I'm, I've am i been playing through um, a little slower than you have. Um, I'm about an hour away from finishing the game, but nice. you've you've played it all and, and finished it and um, probably have um, had some time to think about it. My uh, impressions are still really fresh right now. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think, having a little bit of time to think back on it and, and just a little bit of time that's passed. Yeah. Um, the first part of this conversation will be spoiler free. So the first 10, It'll 15 spoiler minutes. Light. Spoiler light. Yeah. And then we'll get into um, more spoilerish territory um, in about 15, 20 minutes. We'll make a so, note um, for you when we, when we transition to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll make a note. So, Matthew, what do you think um, broadly? What, what were your impressions of the game? I'm loving it. Or I loved it, I should say, right? Um, now, we have talked broad strokes about it before. Um, to get more granular with why I love it, um, it does some stuff with classic 16-bit you know, JRPGs that um, clearly very inspired by those games that came before. I mean, you've got the battle, um, you know, like the, not necessarily the battle system, but the um, combat engagement of Chrono Trigger, right, where enemies are on the map, you run into a scene, party breaks up, monsters show up, and you fight, right? So no random encounters. You can see the battles before they start. Um, but... Other than that, right, I mean, it doesn't use like an old ATB system from the Final Fantasies. It's not, um, you know, tech attacks and and uh, things like that from Chrono Trigger. It's got its own unique spin on classic 16-bit combat. So it's still through and through a turn-based JRPG um, of that era, but it does stuff with the genre that I think is really cool. It pulls from um, a lot of later games as well, a lot of like PlayStation era uh, JRPGs. One that really sticks out to me as a huge fan of the series is Xenogears. Right? It's got a lot of stuff you know, that reminds me of that game uh, pulled into uh, you know, a 16-bit framework. But um, if I had to say why I like it as much as I do, um, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, it's that it's one of the few games that I've seen described as kind of like a, a nostalgia play that feels lovingly crafted and like it understands why nostalgia works or how to use nostalgia without simply being um, you know reference upon reference upon reference that's not to say that it isn't laden with references it very much is I mean the opening scenes have everything from the millennium uh, the Millennium Fair in Chrono Trigger to the fight with Ultros in Final Fantasy VI. 
um, you know, the raft battle with with Ultros in Final Fantasy VI. So there's um, tons of references, right, uh, in this game. Um, yeah, including but, the very first scene, right, when your yeah, mom wakes which you is, up. Yeah, a play on a little subversion of the the you know the famous opening to Chrono Trigger, um, which I think is really cool. Which I mean, yeah, this game isn't shy about its influences. I mean, if you like Chrono Trigger, if you like Final Fantasy VI, if you like, um, you know, even I would say the PlayStation One era games. Like I said, I already named Xenogears, but you know, Final Fantasy VII and uh, Eight, and uh, you know, Eight is one that really kind of uh, to me feels super appropriate. Final Fantasy VIII with hmm. its sort of time travel um, you know, uh, narrative that it's got going on. Not to say that, you know, there's time travel and stuff in this game, but just there's some stuff about the narrative link between the, the protagonists that I think really resonates with Final Fantasy VIII uh, in particular. And so, to me, that's what I'm really digging about this game, or what I really loved about it, is that um, it had all those references. You know, it's also got, if you like, you know, you're a fan of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, if you like Gundam or Macross or any of those old, you know, mecha JR, uh, anime, you're going to love this game. You're going to get a kick out of it. There's plenty in there to enjoy. Um, and it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Right, I think is another mm-hmm. thing about it, but um, that's kind of my you know broad strokes. You know, I know we've talked a lot about this off mic, and I know that we share a lot of those um, you know same reasons for liking it. But what other things are sort of drawing you to it? What are you enjoying about the experience as someone who's still kind of in it? Yeah, you know, I've I've been slowing down playing it. Um, I'm reviewing another game that I have to get something out for beginning of next week, um, so that kind of got in the way. But the other pieces, I'm just slowing down because I want to enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the way this game um, uses its its skill grid um, yeah. is really, really cool. So you don't grind um, in this game like you do in typical JRPGs. It's really more of a um, a story-based approach. You know, as you move through the mm-hmm. story, your characters naturally um, level up. But there are also these um, like small side story mission things that you can do or almost like um i don't know it's almost like a little checklist of um mm-hmm. i don't know what am i trying to say there i, I don't it know feels, what exactly to call them the way the way i view it because this is something you know i've talked in the past about i don't like when a game makes optional content mandatory and what i mean by that is when you can't you know, without much struggle, right? You can't go through the game and just complete the, you know, the the main path, you know, the critical golden path, right? You have to branch off sometimes to either level up or grind out money or whatever it is in order to be successful. Like, I don't like when a game forces that on you, when it calls it optional content, but it's not. We've talked about this with the first Xenoblade Chronicles, right? It, that game really punishes you for not doing side quests because you'll get out-leveled constantly. This game, that's not the case but what it does do is it makes this optional content which would feel like a checklist in another jrpg into like a reward board a you know an achievement list that you're checking off as you play the game right it, it feels like if you're an achievement chaser this feels like a built-in system for those kinds of gamers you know uh, you'll have an achievement like win a battle against uh, you know three crabs with only one character right Mm -hmm. and it's like okay so i remove everyone from my party i find some crabs i battle them with the one character if i win i get a reward 
right? And the more of these little missions you complete, some of them are completing side quests, others are different battle rewards, uh, hunting down a certain number of chests or hidden treasures, etc., etc. Um, you get rewarded with skill points and money and items, right? Which help you kind of along because like you said there's no level system in this game you're just yeah. skill upgrades and, and minor stat boosts from the more skill upgrades you get so doing this little reward track kind of helps with that yeah i really love that um the the rewards stack on each other so if you're looking mm -hmm. at the the board itself you get more points for linking rewards so wherever the reward physically is on the board if you string together several of them and the the um, cells are touching each other, then you yeah. get much bigger rewards. And that became a really addictive gameplay loop for me. Um, like three fourths yeah. of the way through the game, I just stopped with the mission or the the main storyline entirely to focus on these missions. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, there there are some really serious stat up upgrades and boosts that yeah. you get from doing these things. Um, I don't think you necessarily need them to beat the game. I haven't. I haven't found the the game to be all that difficult, except for in a few places. Um, mm -hmm. But it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about it is because there's no leveling system, right? The game expects you to just continue along the critical path and do what you want to do. If you want to explore more and unlock stuff on the grid, you can. Again, it's mostly monetary and item rewards. Um, but for every, I don't know, I think it's like 15 chain like links in the chain that you connect um you get uh rewards in the form of uh i think it's called sacred water and then mm -hmm. uh grimstone shards right which are the tool that you a use to unlock bonus classes which add like a couple extra skills to your character they're kind of like jobs that you can attack on and all they do is add a handful of extra skills that you can slot into your uh, ability wheel and then um grimoire shards which are what are used to level up right because again no levels but every time you beat a boss in this game you get an item and that item goes into a skill tree where you add a new ability a passive and active ability or stat upgrades and the reward board gives you a few extra of those so that by the end of the game if you're doing the reward board as well as fighting all the optional bosses and completing the story objectives you can unlock every ability for every character right all of your characters yeah. share skill points so if one person has 20 the other person has 20 um, when you get new characters late in the game they have the same number of stat points everyone else had and you can distribute them freely um and so it's this really cool system where you're rewarded for doing extra stuff, but you can get by in the game by just sticking to the critical path, beating the bosses. You get enough stat points to have competent builds, enough stat upgrades to make it so that everything's achievable. Especially since yeah. I find that this is one of the few games that does equipment really well where That's you cool. are rewarded for staying on top of your equipment and upgrading it and the you know you notice that your success and failure in battle is far more tied to sound strategy and synchronizing your abilities in combat alongside up-to-date equipment if you have those three things you're you're golden you don't need all these extra skills and abilities in fact most of my characters by maybe halfway through the game um, I pretty much settled on their builds with one or two skills that I found late game that I kind of added in as, as um, you know, final, you know, top offs. But 
for most characters by about halfway through, I was comfortable with the skills I unlocked with them. I felt good about their builds, and I focused mostly on stat ups at that point. Um, and like you said, I struggled in a few spots, but I never found the game overly difficult. But that was because I think the game really rewards you knowing its systems and understanding how mm -hmm. different character builds and party builds um, sort of synergize with one another. Um, yeah. Did you have more to say about any of that? Yeah, I, I can't agree more about um, what you said about like really understanding your strategy, finding those complementary attacks between mm -hmm. um, your party members. I, can, I think that was one of the most fun things for me about the the actual combat gameplay aside from the yeah. um, overdrive bar. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But um, also the, the skills. You know, I, I wanted to go and unlock the skills because unlocking mm -hmm. skills does give you small stat boosts. You know, your attack will go up one or two points. Your HP might go up. But I was the same way. I wasn't actually using a lot of those um, upgraded um, attacks that I was getting. So, I mean, a lot of the passive ones, obviously, but um, just because you unlock them doesn't mean that you wanted to necessarily add them to your characters. And in some situations, it was better not to because some of the late game skills kind of sucked. Maybe they would work yeah. better if you if you built your characters differently. But for me, I was yeah. like, I'm never ever going to use that. And um, the other thing is, even if you get like the the late game um, the late game skills you still have to level them up from level one mm -hmm. and there are only a certain amount of um, spots available in your character's attacks to even place yeah. things. So the game does a really good job of making sure that everything's level. You know, you're not going to just grind and get a bunch of the grimoire um, shards and then get late game skills and, you know, bulldoze everything. Yeah. You really have to, to work and use those over and over and over mm -hmm. to make them worth your while. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's systems in place, you know, you get skill points that you can feed in, so if you don't use a move very often, but you want it leveled up because you decide, you know, a new strategy that's going to work really well, you can go dump a bunch of those, and I found that for the first 20 hours, I didn't use a single skill point, I never upgraded a skill with skill points, I simply used them to upgrade them, and then late game, I started experimenting with builds and combat and different synergies with characters and that's when i started dumping skill points because they cap out at 999 i think so as i would get to like 900 i would you know dump about 400 500 skill points into some skills to level up some stuff and try some new um, strategies but you never needed to do that if you didn't want to so i think we should back up for a second and get into the weeds of the systems in this game because um i said at the beginning what i love about this game is it is a game that understands what works but adds to right the the fun and the innovation of 16-bit rpgs and what i think i mean by that is this game understands that there are fun ways to build combat that most haven't done before right there's new things that can be done with combat um and the first one is you know it's not necessarily a wholly unique system but it is kind of the core of chained echoes which is the overdrive system right um you know final fantasy has the atb system chrono trigger has its you know real-time combat um and you know it's, it's the dual it's, it's not, yeah the dual techs and, and triple techs and stuff and the fact that combat just kind of keeps flowing while you're choosing actions and stuff like that. Um, what Chained Echoes uses is a system called Overdrive, which is a bar at the top of your screen, 
that moves left and right as you complete actions in combat, right? So <clears throat> the goal in this game is to get your overdrive bar into the green, which gives you bonuses to attack, defense, etc., um, while avoiding tipping over into overheat, right, which is a red section of the bar. And some bosses will play with this. They'll move your bar around and add different smaller sections of green and orange and red that you have to kind of dance around with. Um, you have ways of raising and lowering it. Most attacks, or actions, I should say, will move the bar forward, right, towards the red. But things like swapping out players mid-combat, which Final Fantasy X-like, right, allows you to have... Yep. Access to the entire, or I should say, eight of your party members. There are more than eight characters by the end of the game, but it allows you to have eight characters in your party with two characters being linked to each other, right? And you can swap out these links at any time free of charge, right? And doing yeah, it's that, awesome. yeah, it rules because you get to use eight characters and you feel compelled to because you can build really cool synergies with eight characters that you couldn't do with four but in swapping characters you lower the bar a little bit so if you're getting close to overheating you can swap out a character and there's a little icon when you're in overcharge that tells you which type of skills so stat debuffs healing spells um buffs uh, just general attack skills dots etc will lower the bar if you use them so you have to have a diverse cast of characters you need a variety of skills on those characters so for example if you're about to overheat but you see that a healing spell will lower right the over the overcharge bar by just enough to keep you out of overheat you can swap in your healer who's been on the sidelines for most of the fight throw off a quick heal or buff or shield spell lower the bar still do something effective stay in the green and then move on to the next character and so it allows you to kind of think both about synergies and strategies and building a diverse cast of characters while also paying attention to this sort of constant threat slash you know bonus that's going on up in the corner of your screen yeah and the thing that i love about it is you can't just spam you know the a button and work through the menu like you typically do and yeah you know basic turn play paced turn based gameplay I, I think that's the thing that people hate about turn based stuff oh i'm just going to press a over and over and over and over and just confirm confirm and do the same attacks over and over mm -hmm. this game forces you to do different attacks or think about not only what your next attack is going to be but what's your uh the next third attack going to be yeah it's it's really cool and i think that the um analogy you made earlier to the battle system in final fantasy 10 is right not only can you pull characters in and out like you can in final fantasy 10 mm -hmm. but you can also see the sequence of which characters get to move next yeah and that's just like final fantasy 10 so you can you can see okay you know my last character is going to make an attack here that could push me over the red or it could kill the enemy but if i miss and the enemy has an attack next I'm definitely getting pushed into the red. I'm going to take a lot of damage. So yeah. it's it's constantly like making you weigh things out. Do I mm -hmm. try to you know end this now with a quick attack, a big attack that's going to push me into the red, mm -hmm. um, and, and out of my overdrive mode, or am I going to play it safe, back off, maybe switch characters, bring in my healer, like you were saying in your example? That has been the most addictive thing for me about this yeah. entire game. Uh, yeah, it's I've. 
I've lost a lot of battles, you know, being a little too aggressive, mm -hmm. especially early there, on. There was a late game battle. Um, I <laughs> I played it six times because I I kept thinking, well, if I just if I if I pull this off right here, if I don't guard here, if I do enough damage, I can I can knock this this boss out before you know before they get me. Six times failed every time trying that strategy. Seventh time, I started playing a little more defensively. Not had no problem with the boss whatsoever. Right, cleared it without any issue because I just stayed in the safe zone and I let the fight go on a little bit longer. And yes, sometimes it feels weird because you're kind of like artificially, you know, being constrained by it. But to me, it never felt like a punishment. It felt like a strategic element because, like you said, yeah, you can see a few turns ahead and you know that you've seen what happens when the boss hits you and you know that going to the red is going to make that far far worse for your party and so you can kind of back off and prepare for those because one thing i found that this is something that i'm a huge fan of in jrpgs and that i think most series do poorly and that is the use of buffs and stat debuffs um i've talked about my love of buffs and debuffs when i you know, when we've had discussions about Saga and the Megami Tensei series, I think both of those series do buffs and debuffs very well, and to the point where in some cases they're mandatory for success, um, or at least feel that way, without over-leveling, I should say. Um, and this game is another one where I found that most of the time I was playing this game, I had one character dedicated to debuffs. Um, Glenn, the main character, um, has a lot of debuff abilities. He can lower the enemies. Um, attack power their defense and when you do attack power it does both physical and magical when it does defense it's both phys physical and magical so like you're incentivized to keep uh you know stat debuffs on enemies because you'll see the amount of damage that you take and dish out goes up dramatically with because it's not like you know it's not incremental you don't have to add multiplying you know layers of debuff one debuff is the same right as yeah. you know anything else and so you can and you can see how many more turns that debuff or buff is going to be in effect yes yeah and so i found that i really leaned into status effects and debuffs throughout the game i had glenn in my party at almost all times dishing out stat uh stat debuffs because he also has a his special move which we didn't really talk much about there's not a whole lot to say they're essentially limit breaks you get but it's one for the party and any character can use it when you filled up the bar. It also helps lower your over uh, overdrive gauge when you, when you use it. So it's a strategic play as well. Um, you lose it at the end of combat. So, or I should say, um, uh, you know, you need, you want to use it right when you're um, in a boss fight, basically, because you'll lose it if you don't. Um, and what I found was his was really good because it puts negative uh, attack and defense on all targets for three turns. And so I would start mm -hmm. most boss fights by using that, and it made the first couple rounds, which could be really harrowing um, and result in a couple of people getting knocked down or me, uh, you know, playing defensive, you know, with reses and heals for the remainder of the fight. And it could turn it to where I was able to do enough damage and build up enough, you know, stat buffs and stuff that I didn't. You know, I was I could stay on the offensive the whole battle, and that wouldn't have been possible without status effects, right? Yeah. Um, there's an, another character named Rob who can poison and later envenom enemies, and he has another move that passes it from one enemy to all enemies. And I found that um, I he never left. I didn't like him as a character, but he never left yeah. my party because 
he was so overpowered. Um, late game, he's doing as much to all enemies as some of the hardest hitting characters can do to a single enemy on a turn, just by loading yeah, think- him up with status effects. Well, you hit him with all the status effects, he can also paralyze, which yes. is really awesome um, to work with another character who um, has a, a katana ability that does like three times damage with yes. a, a paralyzed person. But anyway, aside from all of the status effects, um, Rob also has the power shot. Mm-hmm. It's just the, you know, the, the really strong arrow. And once they're debuffed, they've got all this, the status ailments um, applied. That thing was like a like a battle ender. Yeah, yeah. And I it's hated really him cool. at first. Like I never used him except to to paralyze enemies and to poison enemies and then bring him out. But towards the end, he's in the party almost all the time. Yeah, and that's what I think is really cool is is different characters shine in different moments in this game because you know they've got you know your typical magic users. They've got people that specialize in um, elemental attacks, people that specialize in status debuffs and damage over time. Um, the healer of the party, right? He, you know, um, really you don't get your healer until about mid game. You get a, a character late mm-hmm. game who is the actual healer, but your first character, Victor, um, one of the earliest characters, is really he's just a, a party buffer, right? He adds, you know, uh, to your party, but you can equip him with the healer job with the healer class when you unlock it which is the first class that you unlock in the game and that gives him like a pretty weak single target and aoe heal um but it's enough combined with a move he has that adds a shield to your party that with him in the party you throw a shield on your all your party members they end up taking zero damage for the next two attacks um and i found that late game i was barely ever having to heal because i just kept using his shield move when he kept but he pretty much never attacked i almost never used any of his attack skills he just played the role of support he i would shield i would stat buff and that was it that was all i used him for I used his attack abilities quite a bit, especially earlier in the game, mm-hmm. because it seemed like a lot of the characters just didn't hit very hard. Um, yeah. But he he had a pretty good, um, pretty good damage ratio with his magic stuff. So I used him quite a bit, but I also used him as my healer. Yeah. And uh, actually, I didn't pull him out as a healer until much later when, I, when you actually got the healer character because she was so weak. Yeah. Um, yeah, she just it was hard for me to use her at first. Um, but we should probably talk a little bit about the characters um, and mm-hmm. maybe get into the plot a little bit. So one of the things I really liked about the game was how at the beginning you go from character to character and you learn a little bit about their backstory. Yeah. Like you play as one character for a little bit and then you jump around to another character in a different scene. And like you don't really know how these characters are going to actually come together. Like it reminded me a little bit of... Um, uh, I don't know, Octopath Traveler maybe, where you've got a lot of different characters and you've got these threads coming together. Obviously not to the same extent. Mm-hmm. But all the characters end up together and you feel like you, you've got enough backstory with each of them to care about all of them. Even if you don't like them. You know where they're coming from. Um, you know what they value. And I think the pacing um, of, of building those, those little character moments at the beginning of the game was done mm-hmm. really well. Yeah, I found that by the end of the game, I really cared for pretty much all of the characters. What I like about this game is there is a focal point. Glenn is largely the focal point of this game. And then, um, is it Len or uh, Lena? 
Len, Len and Glenn. So you have Glenn, who's you know a, a an orphaned mercenary for hire, um, who has a pretty tragic backstory. At the beginning of the game, he causes uh, you know an entire country to essentially be wiped off the map. This is the opening intro, so this isn't like really two spoilers. minutes. Yeah, yeah. But he he wipes an entire city state off of the map by um destroying a a super weapon um and he's it's basically like a nuke built. right yeah basically like it's and, treated like a nuke yeah and and throughout the game it serves as sort of the the macguffin right through for the the majority of the game it's kind of the the threat right that you're dealing with and, and trying to stop it um but he deals with the guilt of of causing that destruction and not knowing much about you know, his past, uh, you know, other than that he was an orphan, et cetera, et cetera. And you learn more and more about him as the game goes on. But then you have this other character who's sort of like a foil um, to him, and her name is Len. And she's got some sort of, um, you know, fractured memory as well, where she has these dreams of uh, someone else's life from the past that she constantly has to relive when she sleeps. Um, and, you know, we're going to get into spoilers at this point. I think now's really, we can't really talk about these characters and what the game does without that. So let's just pause for about 20 seconds and say, we're going into spoilers. Now we're going to talk about some of the major beats. Cause I think it's the best way to talk about why the characters in this game work so well. Um, yeah. And it also brings in some of the things that I, you know, really found that resonated with me, the games that it kind of pulls from. That said, spoiler time. Here we it go. It turns out, right, that Len and Glenn um, have been reincarnated on multiple occasions. And there's a you know a bit early on where you know Glenn is seeing Len's memories from her past life. Len is seeing Glenn's memories from his past life, and they don't know who's who in the past life. And there's this confusion where Glenn thinks he's one person, and it turns out he's another. And that has some pretty serious ramifications for you know their relationship in the present day right and so you learn that these two characters are sort of fated to come together and put an end to what's happening in the world the the this looming time hopping threat right um uh, you know the world is in a cycle of what is it like basically uh cycles of destruction and reincarnation or something along those lines Right, and it turns out that Len and Glenn are at the center of this, but the characters around them, some of them are just modern day characters um, who are, you know, uh, there to because they've built friendships and alliances with these characters in the present day. Others like Victor, and um, I'm blanking on his name. The um, the yeah. lizard folk. Yep. Who talks Bethra. to the third person? Yeah. Bethras, um, who uh, you you come to learn has a very tragic backstory. So they've all got you know, somewhat tragic backstories, but you come to find out that Victor and Bethras have actually been alive for a much longer time than the rest and know Glenn and Len from their past lives, or at least of them from their past lives. Um, and this becomes sort of the center point of the game and a lot of the tension. And this is where I say, like, it really reminds me of Final Fantasy VIII, right? Because there's these characters who don't know that they know each other or don't know that they're Mm. connected in this way until late game and it turns out that it has to do with some time hopping you know nonsense some reincarnation and uh you know past lives and things and it really feels like it's pulling strongly from final fantasy 8 in that way and i think Final Fantasy 8 is another game where all of the characters like the the story is focused in final fantasy 8 around squall and renoa right 
in this game, it's focused around Len and Glenn, and yet all of the other characters get compelling, full, and interesting backstories that make them integral to both the plot and, you know, just the lives of these focal characters um, in ways that mm-hmm. I find really compelling and interesting. Yeah, they're much more than just a supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where, uh, this is a small thing, but you can change the party leader and run yeah. around as one of those characters, um, one of those supporting characters, as like the the leader of the party. So even in being able to do that and not the game not forcing you to use um, Glenn or Len, it's just a, a, a subtle way of showing you how important these other characters are. And it kind of lets you play the game like you want to. Um, you know, like you can you can experience the game through another character's perspective um, for large ports, parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the story for me started off really strongly. Mm-hmm. And it's ending really strongly. But man, there was a, a section in the middle where I thought, you know, where is this thing going? It feels like yeah. we're going way off the rails. I don't know if you had the, the same um, or a similar experience or not. I don't know if maybe it, it was supposed to feel that way. Like everybody else was confused about their backgrounds. So mm-hmm. the story became a little cloudy. But for me, I thought they introduced a lot of side characters who turned out not to be important characters at all. Yeah. Um, especially like in the court. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just like characters who didn't really come back, didn't really play a big role. Um, and I, I couldn't re- figure out, am I supposed to care about this character? Am I supposed to be worried about what this character is going to do? And it turns out they just fizzled as characters. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, yeah I it, think it, that, it felt kind of weak to me in the middle. I think that that's a fair critique. You know, the one thing that, you know, this game doesn't necessarily do is sustain its momentum as well as it could. Uh, but that said, the game is short enough that it never felt egregious to me. And I think that the the beginnings and ends, like it knows how to kick off and complete a narrative arc. It doesn't necessarily yeah. do the middle so well. And so like the game as a whole does that right like it starts off really strong it ends really strong but i think the individual chapters are the same but the problem with that is yeah there's a lot of dead air in the middle and a few story beats and and locations and and stuff that kind of drag and part of that is these maps these these interludes right the 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 dungeons and maps and, and various story interludes can go on for a very long time sometimes yeah you can spend a whole lot of time in a single location that doesn't have much interesting going on other than it's a big open you know zone for you to gather treasure and do fights um and that can make the whole story sort of drag but i think the moments the you know the real character moments do a really good job though there is some mid-game kind of slowdown which is pretty par for the course with i think most jrpgs to be completely fair um especially when you consider the fact that and this is something we haven't even talked about this is primarily a single developer project and i Mm -hmm. don't think we can stress enough that we haven't even gotten into the fact that the music in this game is phenomenal some of the best throwback music i've heard in a very long time if they come out with a vinyl soundtrack i will buy it day one um the there is an entire second combat system 
designed around sky armor which is essentially your gears from xeno gears this is why i say xeno gears is really because xeno gears has you know spoilers for a 20 plus year old ps1 or jrpg um the two main characters there i know i'm gonna keep spoiling keep going um Faye and Ellie from Xenogears turn out, right? They've got a similar sort of reincarnation connection, right? Like they're characters that have been reincarnated and are fated to, you know, come together constantly throughout history, just like Len and Glenn, um, it turns out, are, right? And so, the, you know, it's pulling from that, but then it has a whole second combat system where you pilot these giant mecha and instead of overdrive and overheat, Right now, you have to shift gears up between first to third gear and back down to. I, don't know, I think it's zero gear, first gear, second gear. Right, yeah. and then so with each gear moving the bar a different direction, so it's still kind of an overheat gauge. Right, you you want to avoid going into the red. You want to stay in the yellow. And certain moves move it forward. Other you no, know, certain gears I should say move it forward. Other gears move it back. And zero gear, you're more defensive, weaker but build back skill points, right? So, or action mm-hmm. points, so you can do your special ability. So you have to balance, you know, juggling what gear you need to be in for certain attacks and when to use, you know, to push the bar forward, when to pull it back uh, and all this stuff. And so it's got this really cool, interesting gear combat system that I found actually quite fun. Plus they serve as kind of like the equivalent of airships. Once you get them, you can hop into yeah. them, fly around the maps, and you know a lot of the exploration slowdown just disappears because you can essentially fly around all the maps, gather all the treasures, and it's a really cool little system. Yeah, I loved um, the the mech combat, but let's talk a little bit about the the traversal because mm-hmm. I was blown away. This game gives you three different ways to get around the map, yeah. so you can teleport if you've been to an area before, sort of mm-hmm. like uh, Final Fantasy twelve. I yeah. guess I guess you did or any fast travel game nowadays. Yeah, but it's got like the crystal. You have to find the crystal and a location, right, yeah. and uh, so he's got that. Um, you can eventually get the airship where you can fly around the world map, a la mm-hmm. like every early JRPG ever. Yeah. Um, but then you also have these mechs that have multiple levels on the map, so you can mm-hmm. fly low, you can fly high, you can fly over obstacles and stuff, and. I found myself using all three of these to get around the map yeah. because they're useful for different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. The airship, for example, you can find locations that um, are totally optional. You don't have to visit them at all, um, but they've got treasure. They've got people you can recruit for your crew. Um, and yeah, there's a whole base building mini game that we haven't talked about, but we haven't even talked about it. Anyway, I just thought like for a game from a single developer, it would have been so easy to say, okay, yeah, you just you can teleport once you get somewhere. Or, okay, you get an airship towards the end and then you can fly to other places you've been to already. But it gives you so much flexibility. And when once you get the mechs, returning back to some of the original locations, open locations, mm-hmm. and flying around, defeating enemies that you couldn't defeat before, or just accessing locations you couldn't visit before, opens the game up and makes you want to go back and, you know, Let's let's play that section again. Let's rediscover this area in a totally mm-hmm. different way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, again, you know, it's not a huge game. I mean, there's only a handful of major maps, but they're dense, they're layered. You can come back to them and with new traversal options, locate and access new areas with different optional boss fights. There's a ton of optional boss fights throughout the game. They're like mini bosses, but they're as hard as some of the regular bosses you face. Um, not to mention, you know, I, I kind of just want to go back because, again, we could talk about this game all day. There is systems upon systems upon systems. We haven't gotten to the fact that um, in the eight party members, almost none of them play the same. Uh, they've all got their own unique mechanics mm -hmm. that they use. Um, again, there's a, 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 a bird night you get late game, mid game called um, Eagle. Um, or Eagle, if you if you will, um, and he's a little little tank, right? And you learn 10, 15 hours into the game that there's a hate system in this game. That the more <laughs> yeah. the more you're using heals and attacks and things like that, the more likely you are to get targeted. And then you get a character who, you know, whole whole role is to draw attacks to them and has high defense and can you know basically serve as you know your frontline tank. Um, and so it's got all these like traditional JRPG roles that still feel different and like they're playing with the tropes of the white mage tank you know dps character party um in really interesting ways and then on top of that um you know with the you know the base building system like i said you get you know, a little fort that you build out throughout the game and you recruit characters that add new um uh skills and abilities and options to the map like uh, one mm -hmm. guy makes it so that when you're on a map you can see how many treasure chests and hidden treasures are left so you can gather everything um to unlock classes you have to do really hard random encounter battles right against huge groups of enemies that you know test you and your ability to build competent strategies um and then the last thing i want to talk about combat wise before i turn it back to you to you know talk about the other stuff that you love or, or want to critique for this game is that one thing I found really fascinating is that none of the boss fights felt the same. They've all got some sort Good of point. mini mechanic that's going on. I'm talking about the main boss. I'm not talking about you know the mini boss. The mini bosses are really just uh, upgraded difficult fights with a few that are pretty unique. Um, but the main story bosses almost all have a gimmick. The one that stands out to me the most is um, early on in the mine in the mines. Right, you go into um, you're traveling through some mines with a couple characters for your party when your party gets separated, and you end up with one group of three characters who oh, um, yeah. don't typically travel together. They're the ones that um, kind of dislike each other, and it's one of those moments where they kind of like let's force some character growth on you um, by sticking these three characters yeah. together that let's, hate each other. Final Fantasy VI, you real quick. Yeah. And you hop on a, a minecart, if you will. It's like a little you know, motorized minecart, and you face off against a boss. But the gimmick is that as you're fighting the boss, this minecart is traveling along these tracks and going towards pitfalls and rock slides and healing stations and buff stations. And, yeah. and debuff you, stations. Yes, and you, have to, you have to open an in-game map while fighting this boss, see what direction the next uh, the the mine cart is headed, and then what other directions it could go. Use one of your attack turns before the scene transition to change the track where you want to go to avoid an auto death, uh, debuffs, whatever, right? Or to give yourself some buffs and heals and and whatnot. And these attacks are precious. Like you do not yeah. want to give one of them up. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, you have to. So it's re- it adds another layer to that strategy. That that was a really That's fun really cool. boss battle. I That's think really I played cool. through it like four times before I yeah. It's a, it's a, it was a tricky one, but it was really cool to see that. And a lot of boss battles, like, I think they're more creative in the early going. I will say that's another critique is that I think um, the developer used a lot of their really creative ideas right from the jump. Um, and so late game, there's some more repetition in boss fights and stuff like that. There's still a few standouts in the, in the real late game, um, but they become a little more formulaic JRPG boss battles um, in the mm-hmm. like back third, um, which is kind of a bummer because I think that's you know, an opportunity at that point to do some really cool stuff. And, and so that's maybe one downside to the addition of the sky armor battles is I think putting in that second system, you can tell that the moment the sky battles come in and they become a big part, um, like, yes, they did a fantastic job of balancing encounters for Sky Armor, specifically for on-ground specifically. And that's a feat in and of itself. But in doing that, I think it diluted some of the ground battles, um, which were mm. some of the more compelling and interesting fights in the game. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we've been talking about this for almost 45 minutes now, yeah. but I can't believe we've been talking so long and haven't talked about the way this game actually looks. The Amazing. pixel art in this game, unbelievable. It's, yeah. I think, second to none on the Switch. And I did mm-hmm. a little bit of research on the developer. Um, his last name is Linda. Uh, he's German. And it looks like before he started development on this, he did a lot of RPG Maker games. Yeah. And Which so is like, not surprising. No, no. As soon as I read that, I was like, okay, this totally makes sense now. This game was in development for like seven years or something or close to seven years. And in the 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 mechanics, um, the the actual gameplay, the story, like it all feels like that's that's like it's absolutely seven years worth of work. But the pixel art and the music are just phenomenal. I can't believe how good they are. Yeah, it it. It, that's the thing is it does not feel like yes he had help with especially like with the music i think it's a, a, a he has a composer who does the music and there's a lot of other people credited with help and and a hand but largely he built this himself um and that is what is most surprising because yes this looks like a, a again you can see the seams of an rpg maker game um it you know, a lot of RPG maker games are the ones that try to do this to style to grab and do it so poorly because they're, you know, um, they they're just like don't understand. Right? Yeah, or they don't really understand what makes the series, like the, the genre good. They don't try to push anything forward. They just try to, to copy paste. Um, this game doesn't. It tries to do something different. And in fact, looking at this game, like you said, it the, the sprite animations are phenomenal the attack animations and everything really really well done the um just the colors of the game look stunning the pixel art is it's not you know it's not like cramped and muddy it's it's big and and vibrant and easy to see good on the eyes um the game that it most reminds me of and it's funny because we played this game and i you know i I think it's one of the best games of 2022 easily like i said if we had done our game of the year list um a little bit later in the year i would have put this maybe in my top three for the year i i thought it was a phenomenal game that came out last year and the fact that it came out of nowhere from a single developer um is just uh, speaks very highly of this game but i look at this game and i think about um a game that i know we're both very excited for that's coming out this year which is sea of stars right 
I think Sea of Stars is the only other game I've seen in the last, you know, five, ten years that looks this good from a pixel perspective, like from a pixel yeah. art perspective. Um, and yet uh, Sea of Stars has a, a, a big team, not a huge team, but it's got a much bigger team than this game has. And yet I'm concerned now that Sea of Stars isn't going to be, that this game is going to, it kind of came in and ate its lunch a little bit um, because of the delay and all of that. Uh, and so I'm very curious to see how we feel about Sea of Stars with this game sitting here as like, the example of what a single developer with a real passion for these games and understanding how nostalgia works and needs to be played with, um, like pulls it off because sea of stars is, is it is relying on it's, it's billing itself as like the game that will make you think about those old games, but in a new way. And so the fact that, um, you know, that's kind of their selling point and has been their selling point. And this game came in and just knocked it out of the park. I'm very curious to see um, if this impacts at all our thoughts on Sea of Stars later this year. No, me too. Um, so I, I, I want to land in a, a similar place. If you don't have any other uh, big points about the game. Now, I think if anyone wants to chat more about this game, we're gladly do it. But uh, I think we've we've talked your ears off today. And, and uh, at the end of the day, we just say, just get it, play it, do it. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so just to, to, to land the plane here, um, don't let this one slip you by. Came out at the end of 2022. It's a really fantastic game. And like Matthew said, if, if it would have been out a month earlier, easily a top three game. I'm not sure which game it would have bumped out of our top 10 list, yeah. but it absolutely would have. Um, and, you know, the, the thing about games that come out that late in the year, everybody's ready to move on to the next year. So they sort of missed you know, that, that those mm-hmm. late fall, early winter games. Um, don't let this one be one of it. it it's, it's such a great game. Um, I just, I can't go on and on about it enough. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say about it is just that it, it's taking all the influences. Um, like you can, you can obviously see how all the games that we've talked about, these other um you know, retro games play huge roles and huge were huge influences for this game. I think the biggest compliment I can give to it is Chained Echoes feels retro <laughs> while at the same time feeling very modern. Like it's yeah. it's pushing some of these mechanics in a way that the old games didn't, but it feels familiar and comfortable and um, you know, just makes you feel nostalgic for some of those older games. But I think if this game, you know, we, we've put aside technology for a second, but if this game would have been out alongside the Final Fantasy sixes, the Chrono Triggers, like in the um, Super Nintendo days, I think we would look at it and say that was one of the greatest games of that generation. That's one of the all-time great 16-bit RPGs. And I just hope that even though it came out now, it still gets that kind of recognition because I think it's worth it. Yeah, I think it is, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this phrase actually means anything of value, but it does feel like a modern classic, right? It feels like a game that needs to be um, held up as an example of how to do this genre right if you want to, you know, capture this genre in, in today's day and age. Um, so, yeah, I hope I hope we see more games try to ape what it's doing and do it well and push it forward as, <clears throat> you know, this game did with a lot of its influences, but we'll see. <laughs> so, Justin, 
I think that wraps it for our Chained Echoes conversation, but we've got a little bit of like a B segment today. It's going to be, you know, maybe 10 minutes or so. So it's a little long. This episode's going to run a little long, but um, we wanted to talk our first impressions of a little game that came out uh, this past week called Fire Emblem Engage, a game from a series that you and I both adore um, and a uh, maybe slightly controversial entry into a long-running series from nintendo um you and i have both put in what maybe three to five hours or so at this point yeah Um, five or six for me enough to see a handful of chapters to you know see how the new you know the equivalent of the garrig um you know monastery uh, works in this game uh do some some of the uh emblem uh the ring emblem uh you know material uh experience quite a handful of new characters and and relationship stuff so we've got we've got the foundation right like we're not super far in but we've seen a lot of what the game has to offer at this point and so i just kind of want to say you know early impressions where are you on this how does it stack up at you know in the early hours to something like three houses which again i know we both loved or even older games if you have any thoughts there yeah, so we both love Three Houses a lot. It was a very different Fire Emblem game. Um, and I think th- that's... Comparing it to Three Houses is basically what the internet's been doing for Engage for a week or so now. Um, and it is very different. I l- really liked hanging out at the monastery, doing mm-hmm. all the like individual side quest things, um, making the connections between characters. I really enjoyed that stuff. Um but engage lets you get into the action so much faster. Mm. And I really like that a lot. Like in the first, you know, couple hours of three houses, you may have done one or two battles. Yes. In this game, you've done several battles. Um, yeah. and, and you could, you can push the plot along as fast as, as you want to. So I'm really enjoying that. You can just hop into things. Um, related to that fire emblem, um, Fire Emblem Three Houses felt like a game that really took all of your attention because mm-hmm. you were constantly trying to figure out, you know, how do I, um, or which students do I bond with? Which um, skills do I teach them? Do I change their class? Um, who do I, who does I think this like lost belonging belong to? How can I return it to them? So you've got like all these different systems and these little um, like life sim things that you're trying to, to play with and you, you really have to focus on it to play it. Yeah. Engage is much more of uh, this is just a strategy RPG and you can play it while you're doing other things. You can pick it up and put it down sort of casually. Um, yeah. not saying it's like a casual game, but you can pick it up and put it down without really worrying about where was I, you know, where, how's this going to affect the calendar system? Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I so you know, like you said, it feels like a a slimmed down three houses. If we're gonna make that comparison again, I don't think three houses is actually a good comparison to this game. Um, they're very different games, as you pointed out. In fact, I think like um, three houses is more like triangle strategy in that like they really want the narrative beats to take a while for you to sit with them, for you to you know. And again, this may change going forward, um, but. The narrative is largely forgettable um, in the mm-hmm. first three, four hours of Fire Emblem Engage. It may yeah, get better, but 
the writing kind of sucks. The um, characters aren't all that interesting. I like the, I'm uh, one of the few that said, I love the main character designs. I love how just wildly goofy they are. And I think a lot of the character design in this game is just bonkers in a good way to me, because this game is just pure candy for me is the best way to put it. Uh, It, 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 like you said, you you kind of jump in, you play the game. I don't have to worry about too many deep systems yet. Um, now, again, there's like systems with the rings where you pair up your, your party members with a, a famous hero from uh, Fire Emblem Past, and it's very fan servicey and, and fun in that way. Um, they make your character stronger and give them this fun little mechanic where they have like a like a Super Saiyan fuse uh, fusion dance, uh, you know, every couple of turns, um, which That's is kind of cool. Um, but, you know, for the most part, your characters are uh, the roles that they're assigned. Your main character is a sword fighter. You get, uh, you know, your cavalry characters. You get your lancers. You get your pegasus riders. You get your archers. And you decide, all right, let's build a party that I want with these characters. And they each feel very fleshed out and interesting in that way. Um, there's already a few characters that I already know are kind of standouts for me that I'm excited to, you know, learn more about these characters. There's an archer girl that you get really early on who seems super cool um, that I'm that I'm digging. Um, there's uh, Vander, who's, you know, the requisite old dude military guy who kind of comes right in the beginning. He's a good dude. Um, it looks fun. But, again, largely I couldn't tell you what's going on in the story other than I got to gather some rings, and uh, I'm apparently a dragon who looks like a little girl. I don't really <laughs> understand that. Um uh, you know, I've not seen that I'm a dragon, but apparently I am. And so we'll find out more about that as the story goes on. But I've been called it at least a hundred times in the first three hours. So I'm just going to shut that up about true. it. Yeah. Um, again, largely for good story. The combat in this game is uh, people have already said this, and I don't think I'm saying anything new. The most interesting flows the best and feels really, really deep. I think this game's going to get very very complex difficult and enjoyable to play the further in i get i'm already having a much better time with the individual battles in the first couple hours than i did with a lot of the first half of three houses yeah Um, the fact that when you're moving characters around you can just kind of free run them around their movement grid um is such a minor thing like but it rules. It rules so much. It makes the combat feel so much more fluid and enjoyable. Um, the maps so far have been fun. The interactions are good. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I'm loving it. Um, and they brought back the, the weapon uh, triangle. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the rock, paper, scissors thing with, with the weapons. I missed that in three houses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really glad that's back. But, you know, one, one minor criticism I have of it so far. Mm-hmm. We both loved triangle strategy a lot. And one of the things I liked about it was if you, how you positioned your characters in the grid um, determined oh, yeah, yeah. Like how many hits you were going to get. So if you had a, a, um, a character in front of and behind an enemy, you could do like a, like a combo attack. Yeah. I'm kind of missing that here. Like I just think triangle strategy did that really well. And I don't know. I, yeah. It would have been cool to see something like that here, too. I wonder if there's going to be more of that as the game goes on, because there are certain interactions I've seen from enemies, and you know, early on you get a, a character who uses an axe, and if you put him next to a character, he'll do a minor attack at the beginning of your turn if he's positioned next to you. And there's another mm-hmm. character who can use a move where if you position her, everyone around her for the next turn, um, she'll jump in and take 
half the damage for them right and work as like a tank so there's like there are interactions as far as like placement movement in between turns but i i'm assuming that's something that will flesh out more as you unlock you know more skills and deeper customization for the characters but early on yeah it feels a little bit light on that and there's not any like surefire like strategies like okay if i get these two characters in the same location i'm going to just you know dominate um you know nothing like that yet it's a very methodical game um i am playing on hard for the first time usually i play on normal in these kinds of games because i'm I'm not super great i i like strategy rpgs but i'm not great at them um but i i decided you know i i if there had been achievements i would have platinumed three houses so i thought you know this time around i'm going to go hard mode um i'm going to do for the very first time classic where you lose characters if they die what i found is i'm very grateful for the fact that there is a uh gem you get early on in the game that lets you restart turns uh, about 10 times a mission because i'm using almost all of those resets in order to avoid losing characters um i it creates a tension though in playing the game that like i'm i'm gonna replay a battle if i lose a character i can't i I don't actually want to lose the characters but unlike playing on casual difficulty where i would just kind of brute force my way through to the end of the mission because it there were no consequences now i'm playing more methodically i'm learning the systems better i'm understanding Mm. the like you said the triangle right i don't know i can't remember if this was in like um because i've i played uh, awakening fates um three houses and now this um I, I got started in the 3ds fire emblems i can't remember if there was a break system in those games i think that's new to engage right where if you target the weakness with a character that that unit that you hit can't do any counterattacks until the end of, until the start of their next turn and so it creates this really compelling system where if you have like an axe wielder you need to bring him up against i think it's um spear wielders i think yeah spears axes break spears you bring the axe wielder to the spear wielder he hits the spear wielder and now the spear wielder can't uh counter-attack your sword wielder when they attack him later in that turn and that's a really cool system that encourages you to think about where you place your characters and who you group with who based off of what the battlefield looks like at the beginning and so i'm spending a lot more time setting up combat taking my turns really taking in the battlefield instead of just like rushing through it like i did when i played three houses on casual difficulty or on casual mode um, yeah. what are you playing are you you doing casual i'm on casual and i started off on normal and everybody yeah. should know this before you start this game if you pick a difficulty you can't move that difficulty up later in yes. the game yes you can move it down but you cannot move it back up because playing through normal i thought this is a little too easy. I know I don't want to do classic mode. You know, casual mode's fine with me for this game. But I want it to be a little bit more difficult than this. And I'm stuck. I'm already, you know, yeah. five or six hours in. So I don't really want to start over. Um, but it does feel very easy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the flip side, hard for me at least it is hard, right? If I am not, If I am not thinking very carefully about my turns and my placement and you know spending a turn every now and then um you know playing defensively to draw you know enemies towards me or whatever um i have ended up in very very difficult situations i've lost characters uh, to the point where i've had to restart missions right because i didn't want to lose that character and and so i'm playing this game a lot slower than i did three houses but like i said 
in the early hours, I'm having a lot more fun with the actual battles than I was. Though, again, story forgettable, at least for now. I don't necessarily see it getting much better, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think the the main focus here is are these battles, and I'm totally okay with that. You know, we've we've got a lot of variety with the um, actual battlefields. Um, the the character builds, like you mentioned earlier, are are really nice, especially early on. Like you're getting a lot of different types of characters, and you can kind of figure out who you want to use. The other thing I really love about this game, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, because um, we'll do a more full review um, in a few weeks. But I like being able to walk around the battlefield once the battle's over mm-hmm. and yeah, find cool. items and talk to your um, your party members and stuff. I just think it's it's totally unnecessary, but a nice touch. Yeah. And the animal adoption. Yes, I have a dog and a sheep. Yeah, those are the two that I grabbed from the first uh, adoption as well. I mean, it's, yeah, it's cool. It's just a fun little mechanic. They hang out at your farm and every now and then they drop items. Yeah, so it's it's almost like you can do you know, a little bit of the monastery kind of stuff at your base. Um, so it didn't totally lose that, but it's not overwhelming. It doesn't force you to do any of that work. I'm, I'm yeah. really enjoying this game a lot. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be good. Um, you know, uh, early hours are positive. Um, I'm excited to meet a lot of the other characters that we've seen in, in some of the pre, uh, pre-release content. Uh, again, I, I like the aesthetic. I think the graphics look great. I think it's a step up from Three Houses, which I already thought was a good-looking game. Um, it's proof again that you know the Switch still has some some legs. Um, and uh, you know what better what better series for the Switch than a, a, a meaty strategy RPG? I mean, it's just another excuse for me to. It's the first time in a few months where I've been pulled away from my Steam Deck and back to the Switch, and I'm loving it. So. Nice. Yeah. All right. Let's leave it there and come back to our game game recommendations of the week. I I don't know if we have one. I think our game recommendation this week is Fire Emblem Engage. Got to be. Play it. Yeah, or chain decos, either one. Yeah, either either or. This this whole episode has been our game recommendation of the week. We don't have individual ones. These are our recommendations. Both of these games. If you like strategy RPGs, play Engage. If you don't mind a you know bare bones story and a really interesting deep combat system, get it. Play it. You'll love it. Um, if you like classic 16-bit era turn-based JRPGs or are interested in something that you know has shades of PS1 and uh, SNES RPGs play it that's i mean do you have any others justin or is that pretty much where we're going to leave it this week i think that's where we should leave it all right sounds good we'll be back in your feed next week we've got um a couple of interesting episodes on the horizon so do keep an eye out for that uh i think we're coming up on our first final fantasy uh, series of the of the season so we'll be talking from as he won in a couple of weeks but before that we've got one or two more things in the in the pipeline so uh we'll be talking to you guys soon Yep. Thanks, guys.